Um, if I was to ask you this morning, um, who has been the greatest influence or impact in your life? I wonder what answer you would give. Maybe you are going to say your, your parents or friends or maybe celebrities of all sorts. But these of us who are, are big fans of football, maybe um, a favorite footballer or for most of us who watch movies, maybe an actor. Or for those who read, maybe an author. I wonder if there will be an awkward silence if you know, someone here would answer that Jesus had been the greatest influence in their life. I don't know if that name is the name that will come first if you are asked that question. Now, the book of Hebrews is a book that exalts Jesus. Um, indeed, the whole Bible points, every book of the Bible, in one way or the other, points to him. But Hebrews is unique in the sense that from every page, every chapter of it, it's all about Jesus. Now, it's a reminder that, as I said, it is all about him. It's not about us. And from chapter 1 of Hebrews, which we did not read, but if you're familiar with the passage, you know how it begins. And the writer reminds um, his readers that although God spoke in the past through the prophets, that Jesus is not just you know, the final prophet, but he is the very word of God, and he is the one that we should all listen to. And although there were sacrifices in the Old Testament by priests, offering animals and bulls and goats and all that, Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins. He is the ultimate sacrifice. And he sat at the right hand of God, telling us once again that all powers belong to him. He is the king. And if you read the Old Testament, you know that there were kings, but each and every one of them failed, even the greatest of all, David. But Jesus is the very king who reigns and who should reign in our hearts. And so I just want us to once again turn to this book, which um, for me, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to a tape and, you know, the conversation was going back and forth. If I was, you know, stuck in an island for a couple of months and, you know, I would um, be told that I can only go with three books of the Bible, what books would that be? And for me, I think um, definitely Hebrews would be one of it and maybe Romans and one of the books in, in the Old Testament. But I don't know if... Um, any one of us here loves the book of Hebrews. And if you do, you will know that as the writer goes along to remind his readers of who Jesus is, one thing he tells them is that they should be warned that if they turn their backs on him, there is no other place to go to. Indeed, there are lots of warnings in this book. And the very first warning is that that he tells them here in chapter 2, where we just read, where he warns them that if they drift away from Jesus, if they turn their backs on him, then there is no escape from God's judgment. So as we walk along these very brief verses, I just want to look at them with um, three words. Drifting, escaping, and salvation. I hope that will be, that will be useful to us. So first, drifting. And he says in verse 1, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So the, the very word drifting um, refers to uh, that uh, those who have been, maybe you've gone to Guinea a couple of times on uh, you know, the boat cruise and, and all that, you, you realize that the, the boats are usually anchored. And if they are not anchored, they, they drift away. And it's that very sense of, of, of the language of drifting that he uses here. The ship's captain has to be very careful in that sense not to let 
his ship drift off course or to miss his intended harbor. And so drifting is used not just you know, to anchor, to anchor the, the ship, but also while the ship is moving, you know, it can drift and move onto rocks. If you've seen the, the movie Titanic, you realize that um, part of what caused um, or prevented them from you know, directing themselves off course um, away from the iceberg was because they were distracted. And so the, the, the ship got hit by the iceberg, and so it sinked. And so it's not just that, first, first and foremost, that we drift spiritually and that he's warning them not to drift. But in our lives, it's also possible for us to, to drift in every other aspect of our lives. For married couples, we know that you know, it's possible for you to, to drift apart in your relationship. If you, if you stop paying attention to your spouse, if you stop, you know, in that sense, giving hard work, as people say, in, in your relationship. Students, you can drift away in your studies. You can just lose interest. Even in class, you can drift away, drift away and you know, sleep off. It's possible also here, it's possible for you to you know, drift away and just lose interest in what is being said. So do the solid Christians, solid believers who are following God just one day wake up and decide to leave church and never come back? Does it just happen all of a sudden? No. It begins with a process. The first is a decision to, you know, sleep a bit and ignore your quiet time. Ignore reading your Bible. The next is a decision to avoid going to church. And then it's, you know, the little decision not to confess a sin. And then what happens? You completely turn your back. So this happens more and more often until that believer is not going anymore. He's not reading his Bible and he's not even praying anymore. And so sin begins to creep in gradually. And this is one of the devil's most effective methods. And here the warning that he gives them is not to drift away. Indeed, if we know... um, the audience, I know they, 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 they have been debating on you know, the particular people who received this, but if you're familiar with the book, you know that there are lots of uh, allusions to the Old Testament and to the temple. And so obviously it's, it was to um, a Jewish community of, of believers. And there was that temptation to, to go back, to go back to that old way of living, to go back to, you know, maybe because of nostalgia, they were missing you know, that community, that sense of community. Or maybe they were facing persecution and they thought, you know, we could just go back and, and go and join our, our, our past community. And the warning for them is the same warning for us today. To be careful lest we drift away. And this can be very, you know, important for us at this time. We, we face a very peculiar period where it's easy to... Um, I say this very sensitively, knowing that for some people it's real. But it's easy to just say, I can follow church online and, you know, stay back home. It's easy to just say, you know, I mean, it's the same thing. I don't need to come to church. And if if you don't have a genuine reason for that, then probably 
This warning is for you to take care lest you drift away. One of my favorite um, authors, um, for those who don't know, I'm sorry if I mention his name again, Louis, he says this, as a matter of fact, if you examine a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christ, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of an honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? So why do we drift away? And some of us could drift away because we are familiar with the truth. We feel that, you know, we, we know the Bible cover to cover, and so there is really no need for me to, to give that time to reading it. Maybe your heart has become, you know, occupied with the cares of life. Or maybe you've become so busy with life. Or maybe you are, you're getting old. Um, oftentimes when I forget things, I joke and my friends just remind me that I should stop using that joke. But I joke to them that I f- I'm forgetting things because I'm getting old. But obviously I am, but I'm not there yet. But it's possible that as, as we get old, then we begin to lose interest in certain things. Um, there's a book I got from, um, from Pastor Andrew and it's titled A Good Old Age. And in one of the chapters, what the writer you know, talks about is he uses Y. He's been using alphabets A to Z for you know, each of the chapters. And on Y, he talks about having a yearning for God and how it is possible in your old age to lose that very yearning of God. And the question I want us to ask as we, as we grow old or as we you know, celebrate our birthdays every year is, are you still having that same yearning for God's fellowship? Are you having that yearning for, for the spiritual make, for the word of God? Are you having that yearning for fellowship with fellow believers? Are you yearning for you know, that future that God has promised? Or as the years go by, are you drifting away? But here, he doesn't leave his readers with the warning not to drift away. He gives them the, the antidote, sort of the answer that will keep them from drifting away. And that's what he begins with. He says, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. How do you avoid the danger of spiritual drifting? You have to pay attention to God's word. It's easy to, to lose focus. It's easy to shut your ears to it. So another question for us this morning is this. Are you paying attention to God's word? No, he uses we and he doesn't say you. It's not just for his readers. It's for everyone, including him. It's for even the writer, we. And this is not for unbelievers. He doesn't write this to um, a community of unbelievers. It's for Christians. And if you are a believer here this morning, that same question is for you. Are you drifting? Or are you paying attention to God? Have you become so familiar with God's word that you believe that you can live without reading it? That you can live without meditating on it? That you can live without studying it? 
And if the answer to, to the question for you this morning is that you are drifting, then let me read this passage for us in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, where he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. In that listening, we have to also take care. And he goes on to say, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So one of the reasons why we, we gather together in church is to exhort one another, to encourage one another. And truly, we can hardly do that on, 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 on the screen because that's not where real community should be. Again, I say that I, I say this sensitively because I know that it is really a real struggle for people. But we know that even outside our own church, even in other parts of the world, it's as if it's been a struggle to get people back to church. We must hold fast to the confession of our hope, he goes on to say, without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. So because God, because Christ is supreme, everything he has done for us and teaches us is of maximum importance. And so we must pay attention to it. When God speaks, we should pay attention. So again, are you paying attention? Or are you drifting? Secondly, we see the the question he asks them. In verse 2, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Here, he, he argues from, from the lesser to the greater. Um, angels convey the old covenant. Angels convey the, the, the old testament. And yet, although it was from angels, there was a penalty for those who disobeyed. As Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. And so angels mediated um, the, old, the old covenant. Yet, those who disobeyed were punished in some true legal processes. How much more with the message that the very one who angels worship? conveys how much more that message if we reject it how much more the punishment how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation and oftentimes people would say that you know they would rather worship the God of the New Testament and not the God of the Old Testament because the God of the Old Testament is all about Punishment, punishment, punishment. But the God of the New Testament is all about love. And that's what we all need. 
in Jonah chapter 4, you know, we know the story of Jonah where God had called him to go and minister to the Ninevites and he ran off to the, next, to the opposite direction. And when he eventually went and Jonah was so angry that they had repented. And when God asked him, Jonah, why are you angry? What did Jonah say? In Jonah chapter 4 verse 2, it says that he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So the Old Testament is a God of justice. He's still a God of mercy. He's a God of love. He's a God slow to anger. And in the New Testament, he's yet the same God. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God who is slow to anger. But yet he's a God who is just. So how would they escape if they reject the salvation? In the past, I think yesterday marked um, 20 years for uh, American, American friends who were quite familiar with um, 9-11 and all that happened on that day. I, I remember... Um, when I was very, very much younger than this, that's minus 20 years, obviously, and um, seeing, seeing it on TV, although I didn't understand what was going on, but I knew that it was something tragic. And we all know the story of, you know, the Twin Tower and the Pentagon, and eventually the fourth flight that, um, due to um, the brevity of, of some of those on board, they didn't hit its intended target. But yet, almost 3,000 people died, died from that. As, as I was sort of reflecting on this yesterday and sort of looking at the stories of those who, who escaped or who, who survived the, um, the fall of, of, the, of the Twin Tower, I saw the story of, of a man named Tom Cavanagh. He talks about you know, how he was buried alive in the World Trade Center why the Twin Towers collapsed. And he, he was on the 47th floor at that time. And then he, he talks about how he and some of, them, some of his friends there tried, tried to escape. He said he had four colleagues and they imagined an area underground at the World Trade Center filled with shops. He says this, I remember yelling at people in front of me or trying to yell away to get in a doorway. Then he said an unidentified man um, who was there had sort of um, a cement collapsed on him. And because of that cement collapsing on him, they were able to see a light. And it was through that place that he escaped. You see, some escaped, some were saved, and some perished. Now this great salvation is a picture of us being saved from something worse than the collapse of the World Trade Center. It is us being saved from God's justice, from God's wrath, 
It's us being saved from the penalty of our sins. And now when you neglect that great salvation, the question is this, how would you escape? For apart from Jesus, there is no other light. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, the writer says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now we allude once again to the Old Testament. Anyone who sets aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more worse punishment do you think will be desired by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and who has outraged the Spirit of grace? So if you see how sinful you are and how lost you are. It's only at that point that you can recognize how great the salvation is. Because the salvation is not a salvation that was bought by an angel. It is a salvation that was bought by the Lord himself. And he goes on to say that it was declared first by the Lord. The very Son of God is the one. In Mark chapter 1, when he came, he says he has come to preach the gospel, the good news. And he goes on to say that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, when you reject that ransom, when you reject that price that has been paid for your sin, how would you escape? When the very one who is worshipped by angels, the very one who made heaven and earth, the very one who holds your breath, paid for your sin on a cross, and you turn your back and say, I do not want that. Then, you should be ready to bear the very consequence of that. So this salvation was not only declared by the Lord, but it was attested also by those who heard. And that's why in 1 John chapter 1, when John writes, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have seen, or which we have heard with our eyes, and which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. And so he talks about the fact that they had witnessed the very Lord. And so they, were, they, never, they didn't only witness it, they attested to it. And also God bore witnesses by signs and wonders and miracles. And God himself attested to their message. You see, oftentimes people will say that 
I think part of it is a misunderstanding of what um, faith is. They would try to argue that you know faith is a leap into the dark in that sense. You know that you are sort of suspending your whole reasoning and all that just to take a leap of faith into the dark. But what God is calling each and every one of us to is not a leap of faith into the dark. It is a step of faith into the light. Because first, the evidence that you need as Savior is your heart. If you take a moment and and think about it, you know for a certain, it's not just that you are not perfect. That's not the point. It is that you are sinful. It is that oftentimes what your heart desires is not God. It is that nature doesn't move, move from order to, rather from disorder to order. Rather, it is the opposite. That when you ignore the things of God, you move away from Him. It's not that you naturally yearn for Him. And that's why the warning is for each and every one of us. And that's why the question is for us. If we neglect him, where would you go to? That is why each and every one of us have to admit that outside from the Lord Jesus, there is no other name given on earth by which we can be saved. There is no other name. I want to assure you that Krishna will not save you. I want to assure you that meditating on something will not save you. I want to assure you that Muhammad will not save you. I want to assure you that you cannot save yourself. Only the Lord Jesus can save you. And so the real question for us is not Who has been the greatest impact upon your life? Or who has been the greatest influence on your life? The real question that I want us to go away asking ourselves this morning is, who is your savior? And if you are answering any other name apart from Christ, then I want to ask the question again. How shall you escape if you neglect such a great salvation? And if you say it's Jesus who is your savior, then are you paying attention to him or are you drifting? We began with, by reading Psalm 118. where the psalmist talks about God's salvation. And we know the picture of salvation in the Old Testament from the Israelites who were in, in Egypt and cried out to God. And he had their cry and he saved them to being in battle with their enemies. We hear the stories of him saving them. But ultimately, the real salvation is 
the very salvation from the wrath of God. And he writes in verse 14 of Psalm 118, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Has he become your salvation? If it's your salvation, then you should truly sing about that. Just a brief moment and then we'll sing.